Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. This is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. QBAC is a next-generation advancement solution that reimagines alumni engagement to drive giving. QBAC doesn't just measure alumni engagement scores. It uses academic research in cognitive science and positive psychology to actually increase an alum's willingness to give. Quantitative data, such as capacity, gets a prospect into your pipeline. But qualitative data, such as impact stories, gets a prospect through your pipeline. QBAC's AI-driven system uncovers actionable insights and automatically delivers them to major gift officers for use in cultivation. Learn how to raise more money with less by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. I would also like to tell you about Responsive's training. If you're looking to align your entire team around a shared understanding of effective fundraising, let's talk about Responsive's four frameworks. If your culture doesn't feel right, before you begin any significant planning, launch a capital campaign, let's ensure that everyone is on the same page. How about inviting us to be on site with your board, leadership team, volunteers, and staff for your next planning event? If you prefer a virtual event, that'll work too. Let's get your team thinking critically and more carefully about the road ahead. Shoot me an email. I will also put some information in the show notes. Hi, Pat. I am delighted to have you today on the Fundraising Talent Podcast. You and I have had a mess of a time trying to get you on the schedule. I think most of that was probably my fault. I still have not convinced myself that I need to hire a personal assistant. Um, I think if I did, I would probably, I think he or she would probably run me more than I would run them which I think is kind of the idea, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) But nonetheless, I apologize for the scheduling conflicts. I'm delighted to have you here. Before we dive into the topic, sounds like you're pretty warmed up on a a great big idea or bold opinion, which is what we always ask our guests to bring with them uh, when they come to the show. But before we do that, how about we just let you introduce yourself? Yeah, 100%. I guess uh, thank you for having me, first and foremost. But I'm Pat Duffy. I'm one of the co-founders of The Giving Block. Um, it's myself and Alex Wilson, and we created a company that makes it really easy for charities to, one, take cryptocurrency donations, uh, and then, two, fundraise them. So that second piece is kind of the big distinction. So all the software, the technology, the the guidance, the automations you need to take crypto gifts and convert them to cash, and then getting in front of crypto audiences and fundraising effectively is kind of what we do. Yeah, so I don't think the timing could have been any better. I mean, uh, Elon Musk made a big move this week on um, on crypto, didn't he? Uh, why don't you sort of unpack that before we dive into our topic of discussion? Let's have sort of a current events uh, to- yeah. uh, conversation briefly with a guy who actually gets it. I was trying to explain my wife. Honestly, my my wife Erica was asking me. We were watching the news the other evening, and she said, "Explain this crypto thing because it was all over the news." what Elon had uh, had do, had done. So uh, why don't you explain that to us a little bit? 
hundred percent. Um, so what's happening with Tesla is kind of what's happening across the board and what's driving cryptocurrency adoption for the most part. Everyone's heard about the the hyperinflation potential of the U.S. dollar, the fact that we're printing you know forty percent of the circulating supply. Um, I guess in a matter of like a, a couple months. Yeah. Um, and you can just watch these things happening, and and it more or less unravels this idea that the money that you have sitting in the bank. Uh, is the safe way to store it. And people are always looking for safer stores of value. So traditionally, that's been uh, precious metals like gold. Um, and then bonds. Bonds are um, safe, obviously, but uh, a little less intriguing from an investor standpoint. Um, so gold is kind of this universal store value. It's cross-cultural. It's cross-time. And Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency kind of became the first digital asset to replace that position. Um the difference being like it's it's fungible, um, yeah. it's divisible. You can actually move into and out of positions more easily and you can literally have this gold equivalent in an account that you own. It's not in a bank or somewhere else. And you can send it to someone else in a matter of seconds. Um, so it's got this usability uh, as we move into a digital era that gold would not. It's really hard to, to mail uh, a brick of gold. And people are starting to look at gold as kind of this store of value that you can move into and out of almost like putting money in a savings account. The difference being it doesn't hyperinflate and nobody can print it. Yeah. Uh, so Tesla put, you know, some of their reserves in. Uh, MicroStrategies was a big move. Uh, Sailor went in and, and bought thousands of Bitcoins, which are now worth close to $50,000 a unit. And we're just seeing all of these kind of endowments and, and companies that have large holdings moving some of their position into crypto as a store of value. Yeah, it's a fascinating conversation. And I have to say that in the last, probably in the last 18 months, I have seen the, as it relates to fundraising and philanthropy, I have seen the um, crypto conversation pop up and I have not had a guest on this. This is why the conversation with you today was particularly appealing. Um, um, and then, and then, and then marijuana stocks, you know, the idea that sort of marijuana is often, you know, sort of moving into a, legitimate sort of trading space. And, um, and so that's been a regular, we, we won't go down that path today. We can probably, we can bring you back and have that conversation later. We'll invite, my, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll invite my 18, my 18 year old son's got some opinions on that as well. So, <laughs> so we'll bring him back. We'll bring him to join us on that one. But, um, yeah. So tell me, we always ask Pat, we always ask our guests to come in with a big idea or bold opinion. And um, I know we're going to talk about cryptocurrency as it relates to fundraising in the nonprofit sector and philanthropy and so forth. And for the sake of my listeners, I will, I perhaps at times, if you and I sort of uh, get off on tangents and, and, and go perhaps what I might assume to be a little bit over, over the head of my average listener, I'll, I'll, I'll ask us to sort of pull back and provide some additional explanations, but I'm certainly looking forward to this conversation. So what have you got for us today? Yeah. Um, I, I guess the, the best way to dive into it is more or less uh, that there's there seems to be a shift going on uh, in the way that people use money, which is affecting, obviously, the way that people donate. Yeah. Very similar to kind of what happened to the way that people interface with one another getting disrupted by social media. Sure. Um, so I guess what I would want to unpack is in the same way that we had kind of direct mail campaigns and then that segued into email. Email had this kind of long stint where nonprofits could adjust and the lack of agility didn't really hinder the larger, more established groups. They could kind of keep up with it and adapt slowly over time. Um, but it's become more slippery. So once we had kind of the Friendster, MySpace era, like we quickly hit Facebook, then uh, Twitter, Instagram. Now we've got things like TikTok. Um, you know, we went through Snapchat pretty quickly and IPO emerges, it kind of falls off. The, the need to keep up with social platforms 
is becoming more apparent. You can feel the exhaustion when you talk to nonprofit teams. They try to adapt their team to that and keep up with the places where people are hanging out. Right when they master one, another yeah. one pops up and now they're left in the dust. Yeah. Um, I think a similar thing is starting to happen with money. And I think it's just really important for nonprofits to realize in the same way that if you're doing direct mail, because your audience is aging, but that's where most of the capital is, you're going to get left behind over the next five, 10, 15 years objectively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, in- it's, in- it's, it's, money. it's interesting. You went straight there because I had, ne- that had not occurred to me as, as a possibility that, that perhaps Pat, is it possible that, if if we become an economy, if we become a society that that is utili- that is utilizing multiple currencies, you know, in the nonprofit space, just like in the, just in the broader marketplace as well, we talk about sort of utilizing and becoming very comfortable with sort of a multi-channel approach. I had some guys on here just three or four weeks ago talking about a multi-channel approach and utilizing the channels through which we would generally assume the currency. And presumably they're they're generally thinking one type of currency. But are you suggesting, Pat, that as currencies become, as we begin to as a society and as a culture and as a world sort of rely on a a multiplicity of currencies, that we're also going to have to adapt our fundraising strategies accordingly as well? Uh, I'm guessing what you're sort of saying is, is I'm not uh, if 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 I've got a nice stock of. uh, uh, Bitcoin, I'm not necessarily utilizing that Bitcoin to, uh, you know, I'm not responding to the le- latest direct mail appeal in my mailbox and utilizing that Bitcoin to respond to that. Is that sort of what you're suggesting? Yeah. Yeah. Part of it is um, is the currency piece. And then the other piece is kind of the the mode of use. So even with just the U.S. dollar, we see things yeah. like the fact that charities aren't taking money the way that people use money. It's very similar to like if you had an all cash business. And you're trying to run in Times Square without a credit card processor. It's like you're going to be cutting out a lot more people. And even five years ago, it felt like you could be an all cash business like in downtown Manhattan. And enough people walk by with a couple bucks in their pocket. They could buy a hot dog or whatever else it was. People carried cash that went away seemingly almost overnight. Um, I think a similar thing is happening with nonprofits where like they don't take Venmo. They don't take cash app. They're not taking stocks, even though now the average consumer is getting into Robin Hood and they're finding easier ways to transfer it. Hey, yeah, Same no kidding. That's that's a good observation. Yeah, a lot of us were on Robin Hood last week. That was sort of the hot. Yeah. <laughs> right. Good, good call there. Yes. Sorry. Hold the line. Yes. Um, but yeah, anyway, I mean, that's the big thing that's happening is what's funny is crypto is leading the way on that transition um, just because the donor demographic and the wealth transfer shift hasn't happened. Um, as much. We've got, you know, millions of people using Cash App, Venmo, whatever else. Nonprofits haven't really had to adapt just because that older uh, demographic hasn't shifted the transfer of wealth yet. But when that happens, I think we'll get a similar thing where, you know, the downtown hot dog vendors aren't going to be able to to move product. There's going to be a lot of nonprofits who just literally can't take their money. Um, and that's happening first with crypto simply because of the tax incentive. So pretty much there wasn't enough of a driving force for young folks to start donating using Venmo. They could still enter a credit card. It's not enough friction yet. But with yeah. cryptocurrency, it's just as easy to transfer as if you're using a credit card, but you get the same tax benefit as stocks. So you not only get the write-off, but you pay no capital gains tax on it. So if I'm a young billionaire and I want to make a million-dollar donation to a charity and you don't take my crypto, I literally have to pay somewhere between $100,000 and $200,000 in additional taxes because yeah. you don't take my money. In other words, I'm not going to donate to you if I'm one of the hundred million plus people who now use cryptocurrency. So it's quickly un- unfolding in the sense that like 
a lot of nonprofits will literally be taken off the list of potential donor options. Okay, so I'm watching, uh, I want to say it was CNN or something. I was watching somebody, uh, and we don't have to go down this rabbit hole too far, but I I, I think you're going to get the line of my question pretty quickly. So I'm watching that sort of the um, GameStop, Robin Hood sort of drama playing out on, um, which isn't the direction we were planning on going here, but but I, I was watching it. I was watching an interview last week uh, with a guy on CNN who was basically saying that this is less about what was actually playing out on Reddit and Robin Hood and GameStop, and it was more about the savviness, which is kind of where I'm getting with my my question here. It was the savviness of these young people. My 18 year old son was paying it to, and I, you know, he doesn't have stock and so forth. Um, but he certainly could have, and he was going to, and, and had he, had he had a Robinhood account, for example, that functions largely could function right alongside his Vimno, Vim, 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 am I pronouncing that correctly? Venmo. Um, Venmo. Yeah. 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 Um, it had he been able to, I feel like the old guy in the room now, and I, I'm usually not the old guy in the room, but it, it, I, I guess what I'm asking is, is that, is there a savviness that our younger donors, regardless of who those donors happen to be and regardless of what they happen to be giving to and for whatever reasons, there's a savviness, for example, given the example that you just used, um, that if we don't know how to have those conversations and we're just relying on very, uh, quite frankly, very simplistic and reductionist sort of ways of compelling support, which is to say putting a silly piece of mail in my mailbox and expecting me to check the box for 25 bucks, which presumes cash. Um, what I'm hearing, I think in between the lines of what you're saying is that that's just really naive. Um, and we're not relating to a, a much more savvy donor who perhaps in addition to choosing the channel through which they're going to give to us, they're also going to perhaps be very savvy eat long before they're, you know, we would generally think of them being a, you know, an asset based donor um, sounds to me like I could very likely have an asset based donor at 25 years old. Am I um, right? And and that's just now coming to the fore. There's kind of two things happening. So you hit the nail on the head. So there's the one piece, which is very similar to marketing. Yeah. You could be a nonprofit who uses Facebook really effectively and yeah. you can access your donor demographic and aging donor demographic, but a high net worth, probably donor demographic have a really strong major gifts program. Your plan giving is strong. You feel all like of it's, all of it's working on a ca- right. You're saying yeah. I could have a program that that for cash works really well. That's right. So you, you could have all of that going, but you can't use you know Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, TikTok, and then all of these things. And the the user base are growing in these other areas and shrinking in the one that you're on. And it can feel like because you're getting from thirty thousand to forty thousand followers on Facebook over a three year period that you're moving in the right direction, but you're missing out on you know, the millions of hours that other charities are, are gaining ground on by accessing 15 at the same time and using them effectively. The same thing is just now starting to happen with money. One, in the sense you're not getting in front of those users because they're literally starting with donation method and ending with the charity selection. So like they're yeah. saying, where can I donate my stocks? Where can I donate my yeah. crypto? And they're picking a charity from that shortlist. So they don't even know you exist partially. But then the second piece is even if you get in front of those people and you're getting donations from them um, in cash, they might start shifting over to that donor demographic and then literally detach from the donations they're giving to you because they can save thousands of dollars on their taxes by giving somewhere else. 
um, there's a utility aspect and then also just like an ease of use. So, so I'm connecting the dots in between everything that you're saying here. So I could, I could go all out and try to acquire. So I'm, let's say I'm the local SPCA, local rescue mission, local, local, local homeless shelter, whatever I am. And, and, I could be absolutely convinced that I need to acquire 40,000 followers on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, the, whatever the latest app is. But, but what I'm hearing from you, Pat is, is what does it matter? What does it matter to acquire those donors or to learn how to, you know, interact with them, for example, and not know how to constantly, you know, further down the road, know how to transact with them. Because if you're just assuming, because if you're just assuming that those 40,000 Twitter followers are the same, you know, baby boomer and an and older generation of donors who will send you, like we said, $25 in cash or on a check in the mail, uh, you're, you're pretty you're pretty mistaken. I mean, I, I honestly, I, you know, I'm 43 this year, Pat, and I have never in my life and I don't consider myself an old guy. Um, I'm 43 years old, um, solidly Gen X. Uh, I have never responded to a direct mail appeal in my life. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah and, but, but at the same time, I've been arguing since I was 22 years old in this space with direct mail people who are absolutely convinced that that particular methodology is going to work till the, you know, till the, till, till, till Armageddon or something. Um, and I just yeah. don't think that we're, I just don't think we're having the right types. Of, I think we're defending our, our methods, I guess you could say, and not having the types of critical conversations that perhaps your shop is trying to challenge us to have. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think it still works. Like there's a place sure. for direct mail a hundred percent. Sure. More or less like imagine you're, you're just, there's a building you're trying to bring people into so that they can vote or they can do whatever they can make a transaction. It's a store, whatever it is. You're just trying to get someone into a place to make a conversion. And then you, all you're focused on is growing the number of people who come to the place versus like adding more doors so they can actually get in. So you're pretty much like leaving one door and creating this mass of people outside. And then yeah. the vast majority can't even come in. So you're just sending people to your site and you're not taking their money. It's one of the easiest things you can do. It's so in your analogy, um, direct mail is a door. Yeah. Let me, I, let me, okay. Yeah, I like I'm, that. I'm okay. It's really hard to grow donor audiences and to get people to actually pay attention, let alone make it. Con- yeah. The easiest thing you can do as a charity is just accept the modes of money that people use. And I find it astounding that so many charities are focused on building these social media audiences and engaging their donor bases and like telling their story and annual reports and all this stuff. And it's like, and you're sending all these people into a black hole where you can't accept their money. It's like, there's a very little focus on, and we only do crypto. So like most of this narrative is even beneficial for us, but like yeah. stuff and applications that people use sure. well, like all of these very easy ways that people use to send each other money like take all of them why would you not you're blocking out people imagine if you just couldn't get donations from people who use fitbits i used to say that when there were like 40 million crypto users it's like that's not everybody but that's a weird thing to just stop 40 million people from being able to give to you when you can just turn that on in a matter of hours it's just like turn on all of those opportunities and open as many doors as possible and then focus on pushing those people in is some of this is some of this pat also though um part of part of what i'm part of what i'm oftentimes trying to say to to my audience is when i think about our road show when i think about the writing project i'm working on some of this is not so much advocating for a particular 
type of currency or particular methodology, but it's just the adaptability and the ability to sort of respond to an ever-changing and hyper 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 connected and very unpredictable sort of world. You know, I think about I think we can all remind ourselves of the last 12 months. I think there was a number of times um th- th- there was a point at which my wife, my wife and I you know, Eric and I pull through Chick-fil-A and Chick-fil-A didn't want to take our cash. I had a $20 bill that I was trying to get out of my wallet and Chick-fil-A didn't want to take it. Right. Yeah. Um, here we're still in the context of quote unquote cash. Um, but there's an element to what we're talking about here that is just an acknowledgement that the world is changing. The world is always changing. It's never going to stop changing and whatever is most convenient or sort of, meets the need of the day, whether you're interacting with the local charity or you're interacting with Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A didn't want that $20 bill in my wallet. In fact, they, I think they refused to take it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in the midst of a pandemic. They didn't want that money. It was dirty. It was quote unquote dirty. Yeah. I mean, is, is that part of the conversation that we need to sort of be having, having with ourselves too, is that cash, cash and coin, for example, by whatever definition just might sort of go out of style at some point. And then consequently, that's actually going to sort of open up the quote unquote door for these other currencies. Um, I have to imagine all of this becomes much more relevant in a pandemic, for example, when people don't want cash. Am I yeah, right? You're, you're you're hitting on it. And it's, it's a really interesting thing. So that's like the whole idea. So you pretty much just summed it up. Bitcoin is just innovation manifest right now. But yeah. it, I mean, it's... It's it's a mentality, and and yes. it's same way we just connected it to social media. It's also about friction on your site. Like I go to people's donation pages, and let's say you take all these payment methods, but when I click the donate button, it's just your credit card form. There's no way to get back to other ways to give. You know, just think about like site flows and the fact that fifty percent of donors who arrive to your site with the sole intention of making a donation will leave without giving. Like that's an yeah. actual statistic, and that's people who are coming to your site. Not to hang out, but literally just, just going there to give. And a lot of these are older folks, obviously, as the expectations get um, you know, higher for, for less friction or your donor form is so long, whatever it might be. But half of those people don't give because your process stinks. Um, it's the, the types of money you take, how easy you make for it to give. Is your, is your site mobile optimized? There's all of these areas of friction and constant innovation yes. that's happening that makes it easier for people to give you money. And then to get in front of those people, like more people into the funnel and then less friction at the tip to actually push them through. And if you're not looking at that from every potential angle, you will get beat by the ones that did. It's exactly what you said. It's it's a mentality. Yeah, I, I mean, is, is is some of what we're saying, you know, we have season we have season tickets to the local ballpark and I wouldn't even know. I would not even know how to use Bitcoin. And I want to say that I've been to the ballpark. I want to say this was about two years ago. We were at the ballpark and I noticed that the general manager there, Eric, that uh, runs the ballpark, they, they they have put up some sort of a sign, and I don't even know if it's Bitcoin, but there's some sort of a logo sitting there on one of the doors as you go in that they accept some other type of currency that it doesn't. They don't just operate on cash. I want to say we'll we'll give Bitcoin the credit and say it was Bitcoin. Sure. And uh, you know, I, I think about that, and I think okay, in some ways that in and of itself is the same marketing that we talk about in, in all, all sorts of ways. In some ways I want, I want charities to be able to, I want their donors to sort of land on their web pages and know how to very confidently put that crypto logo on there, knowing that donors probably not going to give today 
but it sends a signal that, hey, we know what we're doing. We can take this particular form of uh, the likelihood that I'll ever buy my baseball tickets at the ballpark with cryptocurrency is very unlikely. Um, But it does send a message of adaptation, responsiveness, adapt, you know, uh, it, it send a, it sends a message, and it sounds to me like that's what you're sort of saying is that perhaps your compelling story and your great mission statement and the picture of the great you know these children that you're feeding or educating in such remarkable ways, perhaps in some ways can be secondary to are you even sending the message that you know how to receive you know receive the gift that your donor wants to give you in the way that they're likely to give it to you. Yeah, there, there's a couple things to unpack there. The one thing you said that you're never going to be buying stuff at a ballpark with Bitcoin. That's true, but not for the reason that you think. You'll be buying things at ballparks with cryptocurrencies, but they'll be like pegged to the price of a US dollar. They'll have non-volatile um, assets. So cryptocurrency is a big misnomer and people get confused. Bitcoin is not a currency. It's like okay. a store of value. So it's much more similar to stocks or gold or something like that. The price is speculated upon. And what that yeah. means is you have capital gain stack. So the only reason to transact in Bitcoin is literally donations. So there's 100 million people and the nonprofit industry is pretty much the only industry that should be incentivized from like, I be taking it right now. It should really happen from a payment standpoint in the nonprofit. So you're saying, so you're saying if I've got a load of Bitcoin in my pocket, it is abs- there's an absolute case for me to be donating it far sooner if for no other and, and, and should not even think about using it necessarily to buy hot dogs at a ballpark. It would be dumb to spend Bitcoin and it's dumb to not donate it. It's like what we say. Pretty much spending okay. Bitcoin is dumb. Donating yeah. Bitcoin is smart. And and it's the same reason dollars in your bank are getting printed. You could buy a candy bar for five cents however many years ago, and now it's a couple bucks. Okay, like Pat, I'm, I'm gonna have to get you to unpack that. So you're saying that if I yeah. have Bitcoin if, or somebody gives me Bitcoin, <laughs> however, however the hell I land a pocket full of Bitcoin, <laughs> and I guarantee you, I don't understand this any better than most of my listeners, I suspect do. But if I've got Bitcoin, you're set, and I totally, I totally understand capital gains. I, t- I totally get all the all the tax implications. So explain to me why. Let's sit here for the minute, here for a minute. So if I've got Bitcoin, why is it smart? Because it sounds like if we can learn to communicate, it sounds like if my listeners can start to communicate the language of cryptocurrency, they can actually perhaps raise more money. 100%. So it's it's a lot easier than people think. One, it's very easy to take now. Think about getting a Wi-Fi router from Verizon. That's kind of what we've done as a company. Yeah. You have to build a Wi-Fi router equivalent for taking crypto. Like nonprofits still sometimes try to like open their own wallet and like find a way to integrate it on their site and like they're selling it manually. There's all this stuff going on. So we created like a, an automation. One, it's super easy to take. It's the same as setting up a bank account. If yes. you go, it's regulated the same way and it's all of the automations are happening on the back end. So one, yeah. that's super easy. Two is the incentive. Why do people give it versus why would you spend it? You don't spend uh, stocks and you don't just sit money in a bank account. Like if you're a savvy investor, because the stock market on an average year goes up by a factor of 10%. And on the average year, the value of a U.S. dollar goes down because of inflation. You're printing more dollars. They're worth less each year. Your stocks are worth more on the average year. So the same thing with Bitcoin. Okay, so, so, okay, so real quick though, just to cap it, the reason you don't spend the thing that's going up is because you want more of the thing that's going up. You want to get rid of the stuff that's going down. So you yes. donate, you spend dollars because there's no value in holding those things. They're just for transactions. But when it comes to donating... When you give to a 501c3, the 501c3 yes. pays your taxes on it. 
you pay no tax on it. So I'm giving the thousand dollars, let's say in Bitcoin to the charity, but then I'm taking the thousand dollars I have in the bank and I'm immediately buying Bitcoin back. I end up with the same thousand dollars in Bitcoin. The charity gets the same thousand dollars, but I just move the cost basis of my Bitcoin up. So I no longer owe taxes. So it's pretty much just like a, a tax offset opportunity. Okay, right, right. So we've got to change. All right, folks. So my listeners here, they're probably some of my people are probably are following you much quicker than even I am. But basically what I'm hearing is, is we've got to we got to, anybody who's interested in this conversation has got to shift their thinking away from thinking that cryptocurrency or Bitcoin has anything to do with the way that somebody would give twenty five dollars in the mail, for example, in mm-hmm. response to a direct mail appeal. And, the, and we've got to be thinking about those, year, for example, those year end contributions that we receive. For example, you know, I, you know, my donor sends me a thousand, you know, a thousand shares of General Electric. And just like I would not take those thousand shares of General Electric and go to my grocery store and buy, you know, cereal and milk, um, I would absolutely take those shares of General Electric and donate to my local charity. So, I mean, we're talking about we're talking about asset based donations is what we're doing. That's very helpful. I, I, I don't know that I was sort of connecting the dots. That's that's helpful yeah. for the time being. Yeah, it's going to be like the end of year and the the high net worth type stuff happening. Yes. more. Um, but the difference with crypto is the ease of use aspect. And that's where it gets different. I genuinely believe that cryptocurrency is going to transform what donor forms look like, what our entire ecosystem looks like. And hopefully we'll be at the forefront of that. Yeah. But eventually, and I think in very short order, in a matter of years, what a donor form will look like is you'll be able to toggle, let's say, between different ways that you want to give. And if you're yeah. giving the credit card, it'll show below that that you're not offsetting capital gains. Because yeah. the only reason no one's giving stocks right now is because it's hard. It's a pain in the ass. You have to go yeah. through a broker. You pretty much have to be rich. You have to have consultants. The nonprofit has to get on the phone with you. They got to send you documentation. You fill it out by hand. Like it's been a nightmare. Imagine if I could give a stock. And it just, you know, linked on the back end using Plaid or whatever else to whatever my brokerage account is. I could send the transfer in a matter of seconds like I did with a credit card. And then it would show me as I'm going through the checkout that because I'm donating with stocks instead of a credit card, I've now offset $583 in capital yes. gains in addition right. to my write-off. I'm not going to go back and use a credit card. So like stocks, cryptocurrencies, stocks will happen later just because they don't have the, the digital infrastructure like crypto. Crypto will transform it to the point where you're going to be hyper incentivized not to give with a credit card. And the forms are going to tell you that you're, the yes. way nonprofits are taking money are going to be objectively disincentivized. And that's going to be communicated in the forms. No one's going to do it. Is some of this. OK, let's get real macro here. Is some of this because of the sort of the evolution in even how we earn and make money anymore because a lot of us are learning how to to to, to earn and, and earn wages or you know basically earn an income in sort of this gig economy. We're not working for a boss and we're not on somebody's payroll who pays us in cash. And so, for example, you and I could be sort of participating in the gig economy, and you and I could sort of say, okay, I'm gonna pay you in crypto rather than in cash. Is some of that sort of playing into this too? Um, is my is my 18 year old son just as likely to, you know, get on Fiverr, for example, at some point here in the near future and negotiate some sort of gig with someone else on another part of the world and then opt to use a crypto, a different type of currency other than cash? There will be some of that. I think it would be a bit of a rabbit hole to speculate upon because it's not happening a ton, but it is very similar. Okay. If you work at a tech company these days, they're going to pay you in stock. 
they're going to pay you some money, but then you're going sure. to knock back on top of it. The company, yeah. it's a gift instead of a payment. It, it works out for both parties. You're getting that asset. You don't have to pay to like buy into it or brokerage fees or whatever to move into that. And then you're invested in the company as well. There's going to be a lot of crypto companies that are paying in crypto. Some of them do that already. Um, and that can be beneficial. Sometimes it, it just complicates the accounting and it's not. It's really kind of a, a case by case basis. But generally, no, I don't think that in, informs the approach. Okay. Is the okay? I got, I got that. So we'll scratch that idea. Is the global nature of your constituency? So if I have donors around the world, I think there's a lot of organizations that are sort of seeing this this the the hyper connectedness that we have. For example, the the platforms that you and I are sitting on right here. I think a lot of organizations are becoming aware that your donors are just as likely to be on the other side of the world. You know in the near future as they are literally down the street. And so with that in mind, are we likely to, to become less dependent upon traditional currencies, you know, exchange rates, us dollars, the dollar and, you know, the pound, all these other sort of currencies. And are we more likely to, because we're not exchange, you know, the, you know, I, I've got a meeting later this afternoon for a guy with, with a guy in uh, Singapore, for example, um, there's no exchange rate going on if him and I exchange cryptocurrency, I'm guessing. Yeah, it depends because different countries have different regulations. Yes, I do think we're heading that way for the time being for a nonprofit standpoint. I would say if you think about like um, there are nonprofits doing cash delivery programs that can often be much better done with crypto because of the things you're talking about moving into and out of different cryptocurrencies across borders. Um and it's just, it's, it's faster and it's easier to transfer. And as long as the people on the other end can get the payments, there are a lot of experimental projects with that. In terms of the donations you accept, though, I still think the tax incentive is king. And it's going to be a bigger okay. part of the communication strategy. I think most people in short order will, via integrations directly on the apps they use for stocks and cryptocurrencies, et cetera. Um, and then also just going online when they go to donate. It's all going to be driven by, do they take the assets that I'm holding and need to donate directly to offset my cap gains taxes? Um, and then if so, of that list of charities that I can donate to, which most align with my belief system, but that's going to be within the country or the jurisdiction that you're donating in. Like in Canada, for instance, there are nonprofits taking cryptocurrency, but not only do you not get the, uh, the tax write-off as a donor, um, I believe you still owe taxes on the crypto you donate. So you get like double hit sometimes. Yeah. There are some places where it's hyper disincentivized. In the US, it's hyper, hyper incentivized. It's probably the most incentivized. It is the most incentivized way you can donate, even more than stocks, crypto, just because you can buy back into your position on the same day, which kind of gets into the weeds. Stocks, you have to wait for 30 days. Um, but I think that's going to be the big thing. You're, you're throwing oh, okay. money when you don't get crypto. Okay, so I'm I'm sitting here thinking I probably confused myself and confused confused my listeners more than I I've, probably confused uh, you. Though. I, I let's not let's not uh, let's not shame you know your stuff. So I, I think I think the one place we landed in the last half hour is this notion that that the younger donor is perhaps going to be more savvy in in areas that we generally would not expect them to be savvy until perhaps later in life, which is along the lines of that interview that I was hearing last week as it related to the Robin Hood and GameStop situation and my 18-year-old son. Is there anything else that we need to, as it, as it applies to what we're talking about here today with crypto, is there anything else we need to understand about that 28-year-old donor who's really savvy on this stuff and knows the tax input? I have never talked to a 28-year-old donor, for example, 
I don't talk to many 28 year old donors admittedly, but I've never talked to a 28 year old donor, for example, that is really going to be interested in the tax implications. And what you're saying to me is I'm far more likely in the next decade to be talking to that donor. That's exactly right. So that's the reason you haven't talked to that donor. I mean, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. It's encouraging. I'm going to be interested to know who that 28 year. There's going to be a lot of things about that 28 year old that I'm going to want to know, but having a, having a conversation with a 28 year old who's, who sort of, you know, who understands capital gains, for example, and why they would want to avoid that and why they would give very generously, extraordinarily generously to a charitable organization. Mm -hmm. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's an incremental thing. So that donor exists right now, kind of, but like, let's say, you know, it's, it's 5% of the people who could be that way are now on. Yeah. It's just now happening. And then 10 years from now, let's say it's hundred percent. We will get to a point where almost all donors are what you're describing and then not necessarily even 28. And the reason for that is a lot simpler than I think people understand it to be. The, the reason most people haven't put their money into stocks is it's been hard to do so. It, it's not super complicated and apps like Robinhood are now making that easy. Crypto did it first and now stocks yeah. are kind of catching up, which is funny. If you yeah. give people an opportunity to move out of US dollars while the government prints them relentlessly into stocks yes. that go up, you know, over time, which which it always does, even if it's down for five years, it goes up on a decade timeline. It's just people know that it's smarter to move money into stocks. That education is happening at a population level. Then as younger folks now have an easy way to do it. They just set up automatic purchases and then those go into stock positions. That user demographic, this younger group is going to get older. There's going to be a wealth transfer. They're also going to be the rising demographic in the yeah. workplace. That's happening very quickly. And as they accumulate those positions, then what the charitable sector has to do, and some charities are doing this now with us, and it's going to keep happening, is if you go online and you look to donate and you go to a charity site or a platform place to give, the interfaces that tell you what your tax offset opportunity is going to be because people do want the write-off at the very least. If they tell you about the capital gains part on top of it, and they show you the other donation options, and when you toggle off of cryptocurrency onto credit cards, it shows that you're losing that, people are going to stop doing that. So it's going to be kind of a slow drip over time, but there's there's no reason to be donating with credit cards. I still think they'll be normal. And like, See, that's, that's fascinating because I, I have watched, Pat, I have watched for the last several years, my older colleagues largely in the direct response space, telling the nonprofit sector to relentlessly acquire these millennial donors, for example. Mm -hmm. But but implicit in that relentless pursuit of these younger donors has been the assumption that these donors are just going to be giving you $25 in cash. That's one hell of a cup, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I got to drink I mean, water. Am, am I right? I mean, you've got to see this stuff. You're in this space too. I mean, I have I have watched the dialogue play out both online and in in conferences and in breakout sessions and stuff. And there has never been in my entire fundraising career anyone saying back off or at least become a little more savvy on who this new donor is that you're acquiring. Um, and it, and, and you'd be hard pressed to find too many people who help organizations acquire their new donors who are not in some way advocating for the idea of acquiring younger donors. Mm -hmm. um, but I got to tell you, buddy, they're acquiring donors and they're assuming 
I, I bet nine out of 10 of them are assuming these donors are going to transact cash the same way, the same, you know, for the last 50 years. Yeah. There's what you're saying is true on two fronts. <laughs> right. But two things are happening. One is you're acquiring some of these donors, but not yeah. because a lot of these donors you literally can't acquire because you don't take their money, which is interesting and unfortunate. So there's, you know, millions of people at the end of any given tax, you're most incentivized to take a payment that you don't take. But the second, yeah. thing, even the ones that you are acquiring, despite that, who like aren't using crypto or donating stocks right now, you're going to yeah. lose when they do, because they're going to know over time that like as they donate, like as this becomes more common understanding, which it will be in the same way that stocks are now easy to trade. It's going to be very easy to determine tax incentives. You know what I mean? Yeah. People use tax software and stuff like that. People are going to learn more about this and you're going to now spend all this time and energy and money acquiring these donors. And then they're just going to leave because they can give $2,000 more to another charity that does the same thing you do and well, then, then, more money in the bank. Why would they not but, do that? But that talks, but talks their language, you could say. You know, we, we oftentimes talk about, you know, what, what language any one generation is speaking. And we're really not talking about a language in the traditional sense here. We're not talking about, you know... <clears throat> We're not talking about the fact that I can't relate to my kids. We're talking about the fact that the way we exchange, literally exchange monetary value and however that monetary, you know, whatever that, uh, you know, however we define that has effectively changed and it's going to perhaps continue to evolve. And if you're not ready to catch up, perhaps you need to slow down on that acquisition of those millennials and per, or perhaps you need to slow down on trying to acquire gifts from my 18-year-old kid. Yeah. First, first funnel, funnel first. That's not an expression, but it feels like it should be like, yeah, make it easy for them to give you money and then wire that in a way that is actually compelling, like integrate your mission statement effectively, connect pages, way that works, have mobile friendly versions of it. And then once they get there, take the payment methods they take and then go get them. Right. Like you're they're They're filling up buses full of millennial and Gen Z donors. And then they're giving them sandwiches and a bottle of water and they're just driving them off of a cliff. They're spending so much money and time and energy doing it. It's like, why don't you focus on where the bus is going, you know, before you start. Okay. That would totally be, if I was running a new acquisition shop right now, that would totally be me. So I don't want to, I don't want to unnecessarily help me understand why that is an accurate statement. Are, are organizations right now acquiring huge numbers, um, of we'll call them millennial like donors and driving them off a cliff because they do not know how to relate to them once they've acquired them. Is that an, I'm guessing that's an accurate statement based on your research, not mine. The relating to them part, I think gets overhyped. Like, you know, the Steve Buscemi thing, like hello, fellow kids or whatever. Yes. Yes. Skateboard in the backwards hat. I think they're trying to do that. Like try to get on TikTok with like their mission running. Like that's not, what it is so much as um, the, the driving them off a cliff isn't because you're not relating. It's like, imagine you like you jump up on uh, a table somewhere and you give a pitch on this amazing product that you want to give to these people and they go, okay, take my money, take my money and pay my money. And you're just like, Oh, we can't process your payments right now. It's like, stop doing that, please. Like first focus on before you go and pitch them, making sure that as many of the people you're talking to right now will give you money and can yeah. you money. like stop they're so focused on convincing them and they're not focused on like what percentage of them that actually come to our site or the place where they can make a payment will do that. Like reduce that friction as like a part of your mission. I'm, I'm shocked how many organizations don't focus on like what their payment page looks like or the payment methods they take 
or a mobile optimizer. Okay. Is this, I, I think you and I talked about this before we hit the record button or perhaps the first time we, so there's a guy, there's a guy at, at Penn that I've been reading and he, he, he draws the distinction. He just published, I, I can't think of his name and forgive me, but he just published his second book on this. The, uh, the title of the book is change. And it's, it's the, it's the way in which we mistakenly assume um, what he calls a viral um the spread of information, the spread of information behaves much like we see this, um, the, the, the spread of this virus that we're all combating right now in our current society. But that, but that behavior change is much more complex. And I, and I feel like I'm sort of getting that distinction in what you and I are talking about here today. It's very easy to sort of load up those 40,000 Twitter followers or load up those younger millennial donors on that bus so that they gives you a, give you a thumbs up and actually, you know, and say, we're aware of your organization and we love what you're doing. But just like, just like what this author would be talking about, you know, what he calls complex contagions, the idea that, that behavior change is far more problematic, far more complex. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have, because of our understanding of things like the way that we, we assume we draw the assumption that because um, you know, because the, the, the COVID night, you know, the, the virus that's, you know, going around our world right now, that, that other things spread the same way. Um, and they don't, you know, behavior change, actually getting you the donor to change your behavior, prioritize the organization, prioritize my organization over another organization that you've perhaps been giving to, or or perhaps not spending as much money at Target last week as you're going to give to my organization this week, is not awareness building. It is behavioral change. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not going to be that easy. And I think, I, I think some of the tension, Pat, in between the lines of what I think some of where you and I meet in this conversation is, is that uh, younger donors, younger donors, just like our older donors are not necessarily going to get any easier. Um, And perhaps they might be more tech savvy, but there's a lot of things to learn. um, If that's the sort of the journey, the pathway you're going to go down. Am I right? Yeah. It's, it's a lot easier than it seems. Like I right, right. used a lot yes. of flowery language, but it's just, yeah. like, again, like a bullet point list. You you can do this this week if you're a nonprofit. Like, is our site mobile optimized? Like, talk to your web team or wherever else and think through that. Like, if someone goes to your site to make a payment, how hard yeah. is it to find? Like, you'd be shocked. You go to a donation page and you have to scroll through and there's a hyperlink that opens up like the page. you're doing, Whatever else it might be, like find ways to make it hard for all the people you're going through to actually give you a donation. And then like backpedaling from that, you can go all the way to like, you take their method of payment, right? And now the site makes it really easy to get to those payment methods and make a gift in a way that is compelling. And now you get them there, how it's like, think about your digital advertising, your social media, whatever else. And then you come up with like this amazing statement and these series of tweets you're going to put on social. Like, do you have a good thumbnail or a graphic with that? Because people are going to be scrolling really fast. You just think about the way they're behaving. So put part of that message on like support kids in like support hungry kids and put that sure. on your image under the message, use that to grab them. Then they go to the message. The link takes them directly to the donation page. They make a gift. Like just get someone at your organization who's thinking about process. So you can go back to focusing on your mission and then make it really easy for them to give you money. Like it's a lot less complicated than people think and taking these new 
payment methods. Like you were talking about things like buying hot dogs at a dog park or buying yeah. Bitcoin or investing in these complicated schemes. It's like, you don't have to do any of it. Just like find yeah. the company like us for crypto or someone else for stocks that lets yeah. you do that. And then sign up and turn the lights on. Like it, it's a lot easier to turn this on in a matter of weeks and get your organization from position A to position B than people think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think there was that 10 minute that, that probably that moment at which I started to start to confuse myself and perhaps confuse some of our listeners. But I, I think the aha moment, our conversation today, Pat, um, was that realization that most of these cryptocurrency conversations, all of these cryptocurrency conversations are going to be of an asset based sort of nature. And, and I think back on uh, the, 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 you know, I was thinking about the training that we were doing with a board, a, a new client just last week and how so many organizations have historically <clears throat> limited their fundraising capacity largely because they do not see what I call the asset side of life. That in life, we have this income side of life that is usually cash focused you know, immediate, you know, we're, we're getting wages or however we derive, you know, regular cash flow sort of concerns. Then we have this asset side of life, which generally, you know, begins to really flourish in the later half of life and so forth. But what you're suggesting to me is, is that we're going to see that 28 year old who's going to start living much more intentionally and much more likely in that asset side of life. And, and it's going to, and it's going to become all the more likely that this, what I tend to see is this much more intentional donor. Um, I think some of the impulsivity, Pat, that has been built into our fundraising approaches that we've tapped into for decades and, and giving Tuesday being sort of the ultimate example of it. Um, you know, how, how does something like this conversation to sort of wrap it up? How, how does this conversation play out on Giving Tuesday? Is anybody doing the types of transactions you're talking about on Giving Tuesday? Because Giving yeah. Tuesday is literally trying to secure transactions like that, right? 100%. Yeah. That's, so the answer is yes. We we run Bitcoin Tuesday. It's like the official community campaign for the Giving Tuesday Foundation on Giving Tuesday. Yeah. So we Bitcoin Tuesday. We treat it mostly as an awareness day for the reason you're saying. We want the yeah. big donors to not feel rushed. We want the charities to have a marketing plan between then and end of year that then keeps hitting on those audiences they earn on the big day of awareness. And yeah. then get to go to their accountants or, or figure out what their tax offset is and then make a maximal gift to that full offset with one charity or series of charities. We had one person give 19 Bitcoin to 19 different organizations. They just spread it across the platform. Uh, um, okay, but you can't have... And I'm not picking on Giving Tuesday, but you can't have fundraising in many ways has been built on the impulsive, almost like we're not even thinking about it, sort yeah. of. I can't look at your if, – if if I do that toggling that you're describing on that page and all of a sudden I'm looking at uh, – um, um, uh, put the word back in my mouth um, – uh, block, Taco, Bitcoin. Now, if, if I toggle down and, and you give me that window that tells me my, um, it, it was the word you were using a lot a few moments ago. Um, Donation page, gateway. No, 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 no. The tax implications. Oh, if, capital if, gains. If, yeah, capital gains. If you change, when you, when I toggle down, if let's say if I give you, if I'm thinking of a $2,000 gift on Giving Tuesday, I toggle down and I give it to you in cryptocurrency. And all of a sudden that dynamic on that page changes to now include a, a, a capital gains consideration. 
you've slowed down my thinking. No, I, it's the opposite. I, it just tells you. You know what I mean? You can enter it if you want. Yeah. Right. But, but what I'm saying is, is that the process that's going into the mind of the donor, they are thinking more intentionally because you're giving them more information to consider. It's a much more deliberate, intentional thought process than the donor who previously was just saying, I'm going to give you a thousand bucks. I'm going to give you 2000 bucks. It's going to come out of my checking account tomorrow. Um, you're giving them more information. It's both. So, so it's, for the person who wants to give that way, if you're giving a smaller gift, it's actually not. It would just be telling you you're saving more on your taxes. So yeah. if you want to send two grand, you have Bitcoin, you're going to do that. We still get, like last year was hundreds. This year, I'm sure, hopefully, knock on wood, thousands of donations will happen on Giving Tuesday in the way that you're describing. Yeah. Um, and that the way that that gateway will change where it shows you your tax incentive as you're giving, we don't even have that in our payment gateway currently. I'm just saying as payment okay. gateways evolve to include that sort of information, that's what they'll opt for. People come to us just to donate crypto. When they do that, they know that when they're donating crypto, they get a better tax situation. So it's just as easy. Okay. It's like, I can give crypto, that's better for my tax, or I can give cash and that's worse. So okay. even, no matter what they calculate it to, you don't need to know the exact number, but if I'm giving a couple grand, I'm saving hundreds of dollars by doing yeah. that. And they know that. So they can just give the same amount of money and they choose the one that saves them more on their taxes. If they want to give a lot and really calculate what's my exact number, then you still want to get those people end of year. Because once they know that, they might not give right now, but they sure as hell are not going to donate to a charity that doesn't take right. crypto once they get that in their craw. So it's like, maybe that'll stop. So is that donor, so I, I, guess my, I, guess my, I guess my question, the, the bantering we're doing right here on the back end of this conversation, yeah. is that 28-year-old donor that we're describing perhaps five years down the road, more or less or pretty much the same in terms of on a, on an average giving Tuesday, on an average giving Tuesday, when a lot of fundraising is relying, is designed to tap into the impulsivity of human beings. Mm -hmm. Is that 28 year old donor because of the conversation we've had today, any more or less or pretty much the same impulsive donor as they were, uh, 10 years ago? Uh, for now, probably close to the same. That's going to Pretty much the same. Time. Okay. But the average person who comes to, if you're not taking crypto and you're just taking cards and you hit them with a mission statement, they might still give you 20, 25 bucks. All I'm yeah. saying is if, if I get in front of a donor and they have cryptocurrency and I tell them about this tax center for the first time and they go look at the list of charities on our site, which is just like 150 groups right now. Yeah. And they know that they can give their cryptocurrency instead of cash and save, even if it's a small gift, you know, a couple hundred bucks, whatever it is on their tax Yeah. Rate they're not going to go back and give to any other charities now. So it's, it's just okay. a matter that's of the, the, that's the intention that, that right. Yeah. That's the intentionality I'm looking at because I'm looking at, I didn't know that I was going to put you guys in this box, but this conversation mirrors the way that I look at uh, our friends over at donor at the donor advised funds sort of shops. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking we've got these two, these two now, and that's a, you know, that can be both a, a cash sort of, you know, that can in some ways be assets in cash and, you know, you can put various different sort of uh, assets in there. Um, but in both cases, it sounds like we've got a donor who's slowing down on their decisions and perhaps because they have a relationship with a shop like yours or they have a relationship with my friends at the donor advised fund, they're learning how to be more intentional and deliberate. And if you're not on the receive, if you on the receiving side, are not understanding that about your donor and you just think that they're they're just this impulsive 28 year old who's given you a hundred bucks because their buddy asked them to mm -hmm. it could be a little misguided well, it, 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 
is what yeah. I'm getting at. Yeah, you can survive for now not doing it. So if you're hitting up your donors with your regular messaging, it's probably still going to be effective almost all of the time. And then there's yeah. the advice folks who are learning outside of your messaging about this approach who are now going yeah. to other charities that aren't you to donate to. So that donor demographic is growing. But the third piece is the charities that go on to social media on Giving Tuesday or whatever else it is, they do the regular mission statements and messaging and try to get those gifts. But now they're mixing in messages about the fact they take crypto. If someone who has crypto sees that message, the yeah. retention of that donor is going to be significantly higher. And the odds of that donor giving to the other groups that we talked about first, who are just asking for credit card gifts, goes down a lot. So part of it okay. is going to be the charities themselves educating donors. If you get out in front of your donors, they're giving to you and someone else who does what you do. And the donor that you're talking to on social has crypto. You probably just took them away from the other charity. Maybe they're going to double their gift. Or they'll increase their gift to offset their tax burdens. There's a million benefits to it. The point being, it's a really good donor acquisition tool. And once you earn a crypto donor, now it's you and 150 other options for the time being. You know, in a couple of years, it'll be however many thousand, but still not a lot. The odds of them going somewhere else is a lot lower. Okay. So there's definitely an early adopter sort of effect going on here. It's a land grab. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Pat. I am I am absolutely convinced that somebody stuck with us for this hour long conversation and somebody's like, okay, Jason, why did you throw off this conversation too many times to just confuse the conversation? Somebody's going to want to reach out to you and get more information uh, to get some clarity that I probably confuse. So how would you suggest that they do that? Well, first of all, you did not confuse the conversation. (laughs) I've never gotten to hit on this many like important points before in a podcast. So congratulations. Fantastic. There you go. Yeah. A lot of fun. Um, Anyone who's listening, thegivingblock.com. You can go to our site. You can book a demo. Um, Just click on the contact uh, button. You'll have the kind of drop downs, regular contact form or uh, book a demo form. Uh, If you want to reach out to us directly, info at thegivingblock.com. Shoot us a note. You can follow us at thegivingblock on LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera. Um. Yeah. Any way you want to contact us, so, reach out. Let, let, let's get that. Let's get that. Let's take two. Let's take another two or three minutes, and let's make sure we get that right for my listeners. So, any confusion that we may or may not have created here today, a nonprofit organization that wants to be one of those early adopters that wants to be prepared. That, let's say they've got those. Let's say they've got a horde of millennial donors, and they don't want to miss out on that twenty-eight-year-old descri- that they're describing we can partner with the giving block and essentially you can ensure you just, you can ensure that they do this right. Is that what I'm, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Three things. We make it really easy to take crypto. So we do all of it. It's an automatic process. The only hard part is filling out a financial application to get on the exchange, which is, you know, how banks work. Um, Everything else is completely automated. So it's easier to take crypto through us than it is to take stocks through anybody period. So it's super simple. Um, the second piece we do is, uh, in addition to then giving you this widget, you pop on your site to take crypto donations, yes. which is awesome. Yes. We have an aggregator and a platform. So if you search donate Bitcoin, you know, what charities can I donate Bitcoin to things like that? We have the top platform for that where people come to give. Uh, so we're actively, uh, getting folks off the internet via that. And then the third thing we do is we run campaigns. So yeah. we are on the apps where you check crypto prices. We're on the portfolio management apps on people's phones. Um, we are on the, uh, exchanges where people buy and sell cryptocurrency. We're doing integrations with a handful of them. Uh, so we're actively meeting donors where they are in crypto and pulling them into those funnels. And then you are one of the many charity recipients they can choose from in addition to your ability to actively go get them and access your own audience. So we do a lot. So you're acting like my, my, like my brokerage firm in some ways. If I'm the, if I'm the local nonprofit organization, you're my broker in terms of crypto. 
are you are you my vendor in terms of supplying me the the app that goes on my website or are you essentially both everything so imagine you want to take stocks imagine yes. if you went to take stocks and uh you tried to sign up with like fidelity and then fidelity gave you a widget that goes in your site that anyone yep. can click through and donate stocks they also yep. create an aggregator of charities that people can donate to and then they try to funnel their audience into it and then lastly they went to all the other places that people think about or use stocks and they try to pull those people in to give through your funnels as well. That's what we're doing. Okay. Fascinating. Fascinating. Pat, you're always welcome back. It's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, thanks for keeping up with me. I'm going to probably listen to this again and probably connect some more dots. Um, I've certainly enjoyed this. Uh, sorry we had some uh, scheduling hiccups, but uh, it's been a good time. 100%. You're always welcome back. Thank you so much. This was the deepest dive we've ever done. So I appreciate it, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent, challenges are ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.